We just returned from an incredible two-week vacation in Bali. Several people asked where I was the last two weeks. I was in Bali. So fun to say that I was in Bali. And in the way that only a rabbi and cantor can take a vacation, we spent very little time sunbathing on the beach and instead dedicated ourselves every day to discover the incredible Hindu temples that are all over the island and throughout Indonesia. Bali has literally hundreds of thousands of temples in every village, in every house, in every city. Even every market has a temple where you can make offerings hoping that you'll sell a lot of produce that day. And each temple that we visited uniquely reflected its natural surroundings. There was a tiered temple on a volcano. There was a water temple surrounded by lotus ponds. There was a temple on a cliff overlooking the ocean that had ritual ceremonial dancing at sunset. As people who spend a lot of time thinking about ritual, we loved witnessing another culture's religious traditions infused into the everyday life of a community that's thousands of miles away from our own. But interestingly, at the entrance to each of these beautiful temples, there was a large prominent sign in English that read, women during menstruation are strictly forbidden from entering the temple. Turns out that Bali Hindu law bans menstruating women from temples because blood, particularly menstrual blood, is considered impure and their presence risks tainting the sanctity of the temple. At the end of her period, a woman is supposed to go to a priest and be sprinkled with holy water so that she can re-enter the temple. It was impossible not to notice these strong reactions on the faces of tourists as they read and reread these signs. And I shared in their discomfort. It was frustrating to feel potentially excluded from this beautiful holy site because I'm a woman. But I was also cognizant that I was in a foreign country, thousands of miles away from home and eager to soak up another religious tradition without immediate judgment. So I whispered to David, take a picture of that sign. And then we ventured inside some of the most powerful sacred spaces that I have experienced in the last few years. Flash forward to my return to San Francisco and synagogue life, and I open up the Torah to this week's Torah portion, Mitzorah. And I read in Leviticus 15, Seven days shall a woman be in her menstruation, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. And whatever she lies upon shall be unclean. Whatever she sits upon shall be unclean. She shall count seven days, and then she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall do... An offense, one for an offense offering and one a burnt offering, and the priest shall atone for her before the Lord. To summarize, the Torah considers a menstruating woman impure and excludes her from entering the temple for a week because she risks tainting the sanctity of God's sanctuary. 
sounds very much like the Hindu tradition that we experienced in Bali. Religious anthropologists like Mary Douglas observe that most ancient cultures consider a menstruating woman as taboo in some fashion. There is something about blood, something about the loss of potential life, and probably just something about a woman's body, which in general gives rise to cross-cultural anxiety among those in power, and particularly around this issue. And something that drives ancient, or in this case modern, societies to temporarily separate a woman in order to maintain sacred space. Biblical scholar Robert Alter, just across the bay, comments, even if the restrictions regarding menstruation are less extreme in Leviticus than in many other ancient cultures, the association of this natural female function with uncleanness is one that has had problematic social and psychological consequences continuing through post-biblical Judaism. Today, as liberal Jews, and as I imagine that you know, we recognize that the exclusion of a woman during her period is unacceptable to us. Just as there are many other boundaries that we have decided no longer fit with our Jewish values. Boundaries around gender, around sexual orientation, around non-Jews, and beyond. But still, I don't want to just dismiss this text or my experience in Bali, for that matter, as outdated patriarchy. I don't want to be the rabbi who realizes it's Tazria Mitsura and decides to give a sermon about something unrelated. There has to be something at the root of this exclusion, of this almost universal fear that is worth thinking about, particularly today as contemporary Bay Area Jews. What I was reminded of during our trip more than anything else is that we all crave sacred space. We want to feel that sense of specialness, of awe, of respect, and of connection. You may feel it when you walk into this sanctuary. As you see the stained glass, as the sun sets, you may feel it at a place of worship from where you grew up, something that resonates with your childhood and with your family. You may feel it walking into City Hall or the State Capitol building, maybe something that's more secular or civil for you. But I hope that you've all experienced that sense that our most valued communal spaces are holy. They feel different. They feel special. In Hebrew, the closest word for sacred is kiddushah, like the Kaddish, like the Kiddush, the root of which is to differentiate, to distinguish, to make separate. Creating sacred space requires separation, being set apart. Both the temples in Bali and our text in Leviticus try to create the sense of the sacred by separating women and others once a month. And we reject that option. But we are still left with the yearning to create sacred space in our lives. 
Rabbis tend to like to say that Jews can pray anywhere they form community. That you just need a minion. You need ten people. We like to quote Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel that we don't need to pray in a palace, although it's nice, because Shabbat is our palace in time. And I love all of that. I say all of that. But I still come back to my experiences in Bali and even our experience sitting here this evening in this beautiful space. And while space cannot become an end in and of itself, we can't idolize one physical location. There is something powerful and evocative about certain spaces, certain physical places that we hold in our hearts. Take a moment to think about what is different about a meaningful, sacred space in your life. Is it that there's a mezuzah on the door? Is it that you turn off your cell phone when you're there? Is it that you take particular pride in its upkeep? Is it that you dress nicely when you know you're going to be there? Is it that you walk with awareness, with intention in its halls? Is it that just being there makes you breathe more deeply? My instinct is that as modern Reformed Jews who take Torah seriously, our role when we read Mitzorah, when we read this week's Torah portion, is to use the original spirit of Leviticus, that instinct to create sacred space through separation, and that we apply it to our sacred spaces today. That we travel abroad, that we travel in the United States, that we see spaces that inspire us, but that maybe don't fit with all of our values. And that we come home and we redefine the boundaries of Mitzorah so that we don't exclude anyone in our community, but that we still bring Kedushah, we still bring holiness, a sense of specialness and difference into our communal and familial spaces. Shabbat Shalom.